pick up the Pilot News. Call 936-3101 today and have everything in Marshall County delivered to your doorstep. The Pilot News. Us a call now at 574-936-4096 for what's your opinion now back to kathy and rusty mary ann's gonna be scratching all right and good luck you know we had a winner last we week we did yeah stop in pick up our tickets went out in the car and scratched and i know she came back in and had a 50 dollars winner <laughs> sounds so. like we got some winners yeah there so you, you go better, better make sure you're listening okay all right, we have guests in the studio with us this morning. It is Steve Beam from the VFW. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I am fine. Okay. One correction. That's not I'm me. with the DAV. DAV. Well, I well, tried. you got to watch those initials. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good deal. Yeah. Um, and you're in for your monthly uh, show uh, to talk about veterans, and you have a special show set up for us today. I do. In fact, I could hardly sleep the past month or so in anticipation. Drove me to a donut this morning already. Very good. I hate good. to say that. I hope my doctor isn't listening. That's pretty hardcore. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you, well, we we need may need an intervention here in a minute. For well, if you're well, if you want to intervene, go out and help yourself. There was a dozen. So, all right, but uh, yes, this is a wonderful opportunity this morning for the community and for myself. And incidentally, uh, we are live also in Texas, and our good friend out in Washington, D.C., are both retired Navy senior chiefs, and so uh, they're, they're interested in listening to our, the story our guest has to tell. Uh, let me just say, uh, there will be no VA benefits shared today, not that we no longer have VA benefits, because we certainly do, and if you, you can always go up to va.com or uh, va.gov and do a search and find out whatever benefits those you're interested and you can also go to the indiana state uh, va uh, and they can uh, help you and don't forget contact pam here in marshall county uh, she's our va service officer uh, but today i want to take every minute and every second we have uh, i met this man about five years ago my wife and i were privileged to have lunch with him out at uh, the uh, assisted living center here in Plymouth, Millers, and they and Jim showed up uh, to come and and he got uh, I don't know if he remembers it or not, but we certainly remembered it. 
and he had lunch with us, and we had a great conversation. And I was amazed at his recall of, of his military experiences, especially during uh, Pearl Harbor days. And so uh, when I started uh, talking to you, Kathy, about uh, having a program like this, Jim was in the back of my mind as one of those guys that I wanted to reconnect with and bring in here and talk to him. And so, good morning. Welcome, Chief Petty Officer James C. DeWitt. You've never been called Chief in a lot of years, have you? No. <laughs> well, you have been today because Thank once you. a Chief, always a Chief. All Thank right? You. Thank We're you. a brotherhood. That Thank makes us special. Yes, it does. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that during the broadcast, how it came about to you becoming a chief, but uh, you know, can I share your age? I think that you're, yes, hun- you're yeah. 101 years young. Yeah. <laughs> What's your date of birth? June 26, 1921. June 26, wow. 1921. Anybody here can claim that? Any? <laughs> no? Okay. You got any callers out there that we can give another scratch off to? That's a, that's a, a lot of years. A lot of years. Yeah. But, Jim, I want to tell you, you don't know... Um, how honored and privileged I am. Now, I get emotional. My family will tell you that. But uh, be in your presence to be able to talk to someone who actually was there the day the Japanese attacked our, our nation. You are a, um, I don't know, in the state of Indiana, you might be the only, only one still around. As far as we know, I am. Yeah. As far as you know. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Jim, for accepting this invitation, well, and I, I'm excited. Too. Thank you. So let's just have a, like a, you remember President Roosevelt, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> and the fireside chats? Oh, yeah. Well, let's just have a little fireside chat. I'll be more comfortable, and you're always comfortable, so it's not you I'm worried about. It's me. <laughs> so you, you make me comfortable. I make you comfortable. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um so when did, oh, we know when you were born, when did you join the Navy, Jim? Well, uh, I tried to join when, when I got out of school. But uh, I was awarded to the state of Indiana, and I was, uh, they, they offered me a scholarship at Manchester College, four-year scholarship. And I wanted to get in the Navy. My brother was in the Navy. I wanted to get away from the state control and... Uh, of all things in the world, I wanted to sign up in the Navy for six years. Didn't make sense, did it? Well, you know, <laughs> well, now now that you mention it, no, <laughs> because uh, I don't know if they offered you uh, under a six-year contract and if they offered you any special schools or anything like that. You see, today in the Navy, uh, like uh, you can go down and a recruiter will say, hey, you join for six years and we'll give you this, this uh, job in the Navy as a career. They didn't do that, did they? Oh, no. They just no. offered you six years. Six years all. all right. So yeah. you took that. Yeah. And you were trying to get away from, you, you said well, your brother was in Well, the, the state, I was placed out of the orphanage onto a farm, and uh, I ran off from there after two years. And uh, Now, when were you, how old were you when you went, on, went into the orphanage? Uh, four uh, four years. Four five, years. Five years. Yeah. You and your, your siblings? Yeah. yeah. I had uh, two brothers and a sister older than me. Uh-huh. But I had a brother and a sister that passed away. 
Oh, okay. So, so you went in the orphanage, and you tried to run away from the orphanage? No. Where did you try to run away from? Uh, the farm where they put me out on. They put you on a farm? <laughs> yeah. I was 12 years old. I was the first one. I was the youngest of my family there, but they put me out on an 80-acre farm. And uh, everything was okay for the first two years, but I had to work all the time, but I thought everybody did. You know, it was depression days, and uh, you didn't, didn't, uh, there wasn't, nobody had any money. If you had it, things were a nickel, but nobody had the nickel. Yeah. So, so there you were on the, what'd you do on the farm? Milk cows or? I'd done everything. I was actually turned out to be a hired Dan. A hired hand. Oh, yeah, I'd done everything. Everything except I didn't have to plant the corn or, or sow the, the uh, grain. They had, well, I, was there any particular reason why they didn't want you planting corn? Well, yeah, because it's a little too mature for me. You know, then oh. you had to plant corn and windrows. Every 10 inches, you'd have to have a wire, and every, t- every 30 inches, there'd be a knot in that wire. That drop three internals of co- urinals of corn, go on to the next one, and then uh, there was ten, ten hills to the square, ten hills each way, made a shock of corn. Well, I could do that, shocking the corn, but I could, but I couldn't run the machine, you know. Yeah, so you got everything that was necessary except running the machine. Yeah. Again, any farmers out there having corn problems, call Jim. He'll give me his number, and he'll tell you. Now I know why I didn't grow corn. Oh, boy. Yeah. What, uh, a, what a difference it is. <laughs> I'm serious. We could. We get do it. a one row at a time planting, and, and they do 24 rows at a time. Yes. Yeah, well, that's right. Times have changed. Bit, yeah. So, so you ran off from the farm. Yeah. And where'd you go? Well, I wanted to go to... I had an uh, an aunt that had a beauty parlor in Chicago, and I thought I'd go and see if I could live with her. And I got to Chicago, but I didn't know anything about away from home. Well, first uh, I was going. I ran off twice. First time I just walked. <laughs> Second time you were running. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I walked, and and they picked me up north of Warsaw, on Highway 15. At, at about uh, 12.30 in the morning. And and uh, the guy picked me up and wanted to know if I wanted to ride, and I told him, no, I just lived over the hill there. He says, no, you don't. It was the deputy sheriff. <laughs> See, in those years, they didn't have cars marked. You had to furnish your own car, and all they had was that handled thing you'd put out to throw the lights on somebody oh yeah spotlight so you didn't know what it was well he took me to jail and, and uh, i hadn't eaten anything I, I ran away about oh must have been close to nine o'clock that morning and i hadn't eaten anything all day and they picked me up it's probably 25 miles anyway and uh, the sheriff talked to me and oh they got me something to eat and he talked to me during the time he was in there, and the next morning, and they called the people where I ran off from, or tried to, but they didn't have no phone. So they called the sheriff at Noble County, and he went out and told them. But they told him, they said they'd pick me up 
the next afternoon. Well, he didn't show up in the afternoon, so I, he took me to his house for supper that night, and uh, he hadn't shown up yet, and he says, well, he says, uh, he hadn't shown up, so uh, I can't hold you for anything, so you're free to go. What, where do you want to go? Where are you going to go? And I told him, and he says, well, uh, I wouldn't advise you go now, because by this time it was after supper, you know. He says, you can stay with us, and my wife will fix you sandwiches tomorrow, and you can hitchhike in the morning. So that's what I was going to do. And uh, Oh, uh, but uh, that night at 7 o'clock, I, I was out watering flowers for him around the courthouse, and I saw the bottle of tea come up of the people that had me, and I decided I could decide to run then, but I didn't. And after a while, he called me in anyway, talked to him, and told him that he'd talked to me and that, that uh, he believed what I told him. And, and they went on and wanted to know if I agreed to go back. And they never apologized. All they said was, we just, we, we uh, how was it? We acted too hasty. He didn't say that he shouldn't have acted at all, just like he said, yeah. it was just a yeah. matter of what time. So they asked me if I'd go back, and I said yes. But about a week later, I had another conflict with the, the lady of the house. But I wasn't working for her at that time, but yeah. we got into it. And I told her, I said, am I not working hard enough to earn my board and room? Oh, she said, don't get smart with me. I says, I'm not trying to get smart with you. I just want to know what the problem is. I said, I thought we solved everything at the, at the jail the other night. She says, well, we just said that. We didn't want any more trouble. But when she said that, she might as well hit me right in the face. Yeah, yeah. I decided I, I don't want to stay here. Time to get out of Dodge. Uh, yeah. So okay. uh, the week later then, I... I told me to go down and work the fence row. This is about nine in the morning. I went across the end of the road and I was going to do the same thing. Walk. Hadn't learned anything, you know. <laughs> and a guy come along. Wanted to know if I had wanted to ride. I said, yeah. So he took me on. I was on. We was on Highway Five, and he took me to Thirty-Three, and then into Lagonier, at the edge of Lagonier Six and Thirty-Three Pass. And uh, I asked him to let me out there. And so I got over toward the, the west on six, six, on six, put my thumb up, and the first car that come along after the stoplight was a red convertible. Wow. He stopped, yeah. and two, week, two hours later, I was in Chicago. There you <laughs> <laughs> well, the old system, the thumb out, and the, yeah. the people that were, were willing to give rides in those days. Yeah, and so... Uh, Oh, the morning then, by, uh, oh, I, I, I didn't know how to get to where it was in Chicago. I didn't know Chicago was that big or anything, anything about it. And I saw a cop, and I asked him where my aunt's uh, beauty parlor was. Can you imagine asking somebody in Chicago that? Which one of the thousand? <laughs> he says, and he says, where did she live? I says, State Street. No, yes, State. Uh, not State Street. Uh, Clark Street, Clark Street, and uh, he says, son, he says, Clark Street's 30 miles long, <laughs> <laughs> and he says, uh, what, uh, what's her number? I said, what do you mean, what's her number? 
where does she live? What on Clark Street? You know. He, he, but what surprised me is why didn't he think of looking in the telephone directory? I never I, knew they had them. You know. Yeah, yeah. Now, how old were you at this time? Fifteen. You're fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Just barely fifteen. All alone on Clark yeah. Street, yeah. Chicago, yeah. Illinois. Yeah. No crime whatsoever in that town. So okay. So did you find her? No. When he told me that and told me, I said, I don't know what it is. So when he told me he didn't know, I knew there's no way I was going to find it there. 30 miles of highways of the street, you know. And so, I, you know, I used to read books about, from Harabelle Wright about the Ozark Mountains. And that's, you know, they tell about how friendly everybody is in this book and that. He wrote about four or five books, and I read all of them. And I thought, that's where I'll go. And so I, I got down to there, and, I, and when you go in, get close to where I, where I wanted to go, where they, they, you know, there were just shacks and the hills and that. The town, of course, was nice, but it had just an, a square downtown where cars would have benches around there. I'd go down there and sit on a bench, but everybody looked at me like I was a stranger, you know, which I was, but I mean a strange stranger. And I thought, this is not what the book said it was. So then I decided I'd go to California. But uh, Still 15. Now we're going to California. Yeah. You must have had a whole lot of money with you. Oh, yeah, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Zero. Penniless, huh? Yeah. And so he goes to... Uh, I go. I get as far as uh, as uh, Dallas, and uh, there's having a carnival there. It was run all summer. I found out later. Well, I could. I, I went around there, and you know, you didn't cost anything to get in, but I could get things to eat off of what people would leave, or you know, would find that way. I didn't have to. I could get something to eat all the time, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, I was. You know, as long as I was on the road, it was over over a month. As long as I was on, I never asked anybody for a thing, something to eat. I, in the first place, I was afraid to, because I was afraid everybody was after me. You know, as a kid, you think sure. everybody's after you. But the second one was, I, I, I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I understand. I see. Uh, uh, I thought there'd be plum trees or apple yeah. trees or yeah. things I could yeah. find something, but there wasn't. Yeah. But uh, I only had the. Uh, I, I one guy picked mm. me up and my stomach was making the loudest noises he ever heard, and he says, "Kid, are you hungry?" And I says, "No." Well, he says, "Yes, you are." So he took me to the restaurant. And he said he was going to use the restroom. So he went out in front. It was just one of those little roadside restaurants then, you know. And he came back and he says, I, I'm going to, oh, the guy was delivering cars. You know, in those years, uh, you didn't have semis taking cars to, to the dealers. Everything uh -huh. was FOB Detroit. You had to go get them. So they'd have fellas drive, drive a car to the dealer. Or if there's two cars and drives, they'd drive one and pull the other one. Oh, I see, yeah. And uh, so I, they brought the food there, and I says, no, it's his. He said he's coming back. But she finally convinced me it was mine. And uh, I ate it, but I ate it too fast. 
but uh, but uh, went out and I was sitting on a bench about a half hour later, and and I started vomiting. I ate it too fast, and my stomach was wasn't handling it. Should have that you should have known then, Jim, that you were destined to go in the Navy and get seasick. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that was that was a, the a same pretty obvious, thing, wasn't it? right? Same absolutely. Thing, yeah. So let me let me uh, ask you this: We maybe we can circle back to to uh, this uh, scenario where, where, where you're talking about because at some point we know you're going to get you're going to meet Mary. All right. And I want to tie kind if I uh, because you ended up um, working on you were on a farm, right? Right. They had it, and uh, they was this a, a relative? No, this is the people where I worked at where I. When I went, when I ran off, and and they took me back the second time. Well, I, I, what I got back for the second time, after I left Dallas, I decided I ought to go to school. I didn't like school. I'd done well, but I didn't like it. So I thought I'd go back to. I had an aunt and uncle that lived in Grant Park, Illinois. That's about sixty miles or so south of of Chicago on Highway One. Okay. And uh, so I went back and. Uh, hitchhiked back there and asked them if I could stay there. I told them I'd do anything they wanted me to do. And they said, well, you can live here, but we want to make sure everything's all right. I said, well, I didn't run off from an orphanage. I ran off from a farm. Well, they wanted to make sure everything was legal. So they called the orphanage and they told them they wanted to keep me. And the orphanage says, you can't do that. He says, why can't we? He says, you know, we're his uncle and man. And they said, well, he's a ward of the state of Indiana, and you have to go to court to get him. Well, instead of giving them any chance to, to do anything, they called the sheriff at Watsika, Illinois, and told him to pick me up. Now, this is the way it worked then. You, you know, it's illegal to do it this way, but that's the way they did it. Oh, yeah. And so the sheriff the next morning took me back to... And they attended the orphanage, and they told me the only way I could get out of there is go back with the people I ran off from. So sophomore in my junior year, they asked me, and I told them, no, I won't go back. But in but in the junior year, I told them that, and I said they didn't want to know they're going to ask me if time school started. I said the answer would still be no. But they were having things going on in the orphanage that should not be going on. You definitely wanted out of there. I wanted out of there, okay. yeah. So uh, I decided I'd, I had to give up playing basketball and baseball, which was my whole life then. But I had to get away from there. Yeah. So uh, they, uh, I, I went back. But uh, uh, at the end of my school year, though, near the end, I asked around the farmers there if anybody needed any help. And they said one person might, Merle Butler. They said he might. So I went to see him, and he said, well, he didn't really need one. He'd like to have one, but he couldn't afford it. And uh, uh, he says, uh, uh, but, but I, I would give you $20 a month in your board and room, but he says, you might not get your money every month, but he says, you get it. And I said, that's good with me. So I went back there, and that's where I met my wife. But it was, uh, uh, he, uh, I was out milking the cows one night, and, and they got company. 
the people I was working for got company, and they had a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I'd play with her quite a bit, and so we were really friends. Well, when they got company, she yelled, at, she kept yelling, I want to see Jimmy milking the cows. And uh, so uh, uh, she kept on. Her mother told her, we can't, we got company. And, and finally she says, uh, Oh, uh, then, then the girl started to cry, and so she asked. She had her company was was uh, uh, three three girls and two boys. So she asked the older girl. She said, "Would she take him out? Take her out to the farm?" And says uh, uh, says you like him? He says he's he's good, and uh, so she did. Well, I was milking, and I heard a couple of kids. I knew one of them was was the little girl, but uh, I didn't didn't know anybody about the next one, and uh, found out we got talking, and I asked her where she lived, and she says, Panama City, Florida. I said, boy, you're a long ways away from home. And uh, so we, we talked with, I suppose, a half hour. I finished the milk, and I had other chores to do, but I, uh, I thought I'd see her later, but when I got off, why she wasn't there. But the next day I was out in the field with the tractor and I come in for for dinner. We called dinner time at dinner. Come in for dinner and, and uh, they had this same company again. But she wasn't with them. Yeah. She was with another uncle that had three girls. So uh, I never got to see her, but uh, uh, I wanted to, uh, but I met her mom and dad, and we talked, and we was talking. Her dad says, "Have you ever been to Florida?" I told him no. He says, "Well, I'd I'd like to go." He says, "Well, if you go, he says, come to our house. You'll be welcome there." So I said, "Well, I've I've signed up for the Navy, but I've been waiting two months to get in already, so I don't think I'll have any time." But three more months passed, and Thanksgiving passed. Field work was all done and the crops were in, and I asked him if I could take a. You know, I kept thinking about that girl, and and so I thought maybe I'd go see her. You know, so I hitchhiked down to see her. And uh, did you have any money in your pocket this time? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. I had money yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little worried for you <laughs> yeah. on the road without any money. Right. But uh, so. Uh, and you saw her? Yeah, uh, but okay. when I got down there the next morning. Uh, I I spent my night for fifty cents in a motel in town. There, went out and and uh, to and uh, I ate breakfast. I I I went to spent the night in a place where it's fifty cents. Where you got breakfast is seventy five, and uh, the lady I told her I just wanted to sleep there. And the uh, next morning she says. Uh, Breakfast is ready. I says, no, I just paid for it. But I told her I joined the Navy, you know, and was waiting on getting in. And uh, she says, well, we got plenty to eat. You eat all you want. I didn't take too much. And she come by and says, come on, put some on that plate. <laughs> well, you, you, you know, uh, you have a magical personality as it is, but I'm sure when you told her you joined the Navy, a lot of patriotic people in America, yes, that that just uh, they as soon as they hear that whether it's Navy, Army, Air Force, Marines, yeah. whatever it is, the, they want to offer a hand 
of hospitality. Yeah. And in this case, uh, the meal was on them. So, on them, yeah. Yeah. Well, speak, um, so after breakfast... Uh, well, I, I went on out. They lived about two miles north of town. And uh, the, the older girl that took the little girl to me at a barn took me around to show them their place. They had five acres, and it was fenced in with chain-like fence. But when I saw her, I knew uh, she was only 14. I, I figured she was 15 or 16 yeah. because she talked older than her age. You know? yeah. And uh, so, But I gave up right away. I thought, no, there's no way nobody's going to accept that yeah. for 18-year-old well. being a 14-year-old. And I really gave up. I spent most of my time then. I stayed there two days, but I spent most of the time with her dad. He had an automobile garage where he'd done auto repairs. And uh, Well, I, the secret to the heart of a woman is her father. He controls them anyway, right? I think you know, so, yeah. I, I've been down that road with a father-in-law. <laughs> so but it, so, so um Let's let's get you in the Navy now, because you okay. already because we can come back to her because let them keep guessing and they're listening. I wonder yeah. what's going to happen with Jimmy. I never knew you as Jimmy until you mentioned Jimmy. Uh, something is going to happen in the end, but in the Navy now you told us why you had a brother John that's in the was yeah. in the Navy, so you joined the Navy. Yeah. Uh, now, when I went to boot camp, we had San Diego and we had Great Lakes. I went in uh, July of 62. Uh-huh. Where did you go to boot camp? Uh, uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Newport, Rhode Island. Okay. Now, for all of our veterans, especially the Navy veterans, what was your boot camp like? I mean, most of us who are of my age and and now know what boot camp was like. But what was yours? What did uh, it consist of? And did you have any interesting times in boot camp that are you you remember specifically as uh oh oh that shouldn't have happened or, or that was funny no their purpose at, at our camp was to make sure everybody had something to do all the time like uh we, like march well we did we did our we did our that too every day we'd have certain certain amount of athletic things to do but ever so often we go on a 20-mile ride, you know, but uh, walk, I mean. But, but you know, it wasn't unusual then in Newport, as you go through town, that there'd be signs in people's yard, sailors and dogs keep off. Right. Yeah, Norfolk, Virginia was that way, too. Was it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sad, isn't it? Yes, it is. Right. But Newport was an old money town, and what they called old money town then, you know. They didn't want the training station there. The war, co- the war college is where it's still there, I yes. believe. Yes, yeah. it is. But uh, um, Did you ever wonder about these 20-mile marches? I can understand maybe 20 laps of swimming since you're on a, in the Navy going to be on a ship, and hopefully they stay afloat. But 20-mile, we never did any 20-mile marches when I was in the Navy at boot camp. Well, we did some marches when I went to survival school before going to Vietnam, but nah, as far as naval training, did you ever wonder, am I in the Army and not the Navy? Well, it was more like the Army, yeah. <laughs> well, they used us two pair of shoes. One of them had a double sole on it <laughs> for marching, see? For marching. Yeah. yeah really? Yeah. Isn't that something? How about a gun? 
Anything ever happen when you're in boot camp? I know we had guns, but they never put any bullets in them. Well, we didn't need them. We didn't ours except when we went on the range. Okay. But somehow, uh, one night somebody fired a rifle inside the barracks. And uh, not a smart move. No, it wasn't. And they tried to find out who it was, but nobody would tell them. But uh, what they done is they put us on what they called seawall watch. Well, you knew Northport's on right along the Atlantic, and this okay. was this was January, February, and March. Imagine how cold it was. <laughs> and you're out there watching the sea. You're yeah, on a seawall. Yeah, seawall watch. Did you did you see anything? No. 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 <laughs> but you fell a lot. <laughs> That's kind of like in the modern navy. They have you on what's called Dipsy Dumpster Watch. Oh, Bukit. did they? That's the. Well, that's the waste management. That's the trash cans. Oh, I So if see. you mess up, you've got Dipsy Dumpster Watchford oh. as if somebody wants to come and steal it. So, uh, yeah. you know, so you had this. Did they ever, they never caught this guy, did they? No. Yeah. But you thought they would have smelled their rifle or something, wouldn't you, at that time? Well, either that or ask for everybody to to turn in the, the ammunition they were issued and the one that had one less piece yeah, of ammunition, was, you know. But It should have been there, shouldn't yeah. it? So, at boot, let me ask you this about boot camp. Now, when I was in boot camp, they set me down, and they said, what do you want to do in the Navy? And I told them, and they said, no, you want to do this. I do? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. How about you? Did they ever ask you what you want to do in the Navy? Not, not in there, not at all. Uh-uh. All right. So you left boot camp. What, and what was your first duty station? Duty station? Yeah, your first uh, assignment. Uh, was it a shore station, a ship? Uh... Well, at first, I, after I got out of boot camp, while I was in boot camp and finished it, uh, you know, the Navy said you could ask for a brothership. If you had a brother in the Navy, you could you could ask for permission to go on that ship. So I did, and another kid in our company did. Mine was on a repair ship, USS Medusa, stationed in California at San Pedro at the time. And his his uh, brother was on the USS Arizona, and they were, mm. they were more at San Diego than we were. Well, so uh, that that set us off. At, but uh, to, to do that, then they put us uh, for, our, for our place where we lived. You remember the USS Constitution? Constitution? Yeah. Constitution, but they also had a consolation. Consolation, yes. Well, they used the consolation for us to wait till we got transportation to the West Coast, because the Navy didn't have money to send you by train or by car, you yeah. know, bus. Yeah. So uh, we spent some time there. So for that time, you're on temporary duty. So I worked in the print shop, and I done pretty good there. And and the guy wanted to keep me. And I said, that's, that's what I'd like to do. It, it was fun there. I enjoyed doing what we did. But he says, no, he said, I don't, wouldn't advise it. He says, there's not very many places that have print shops in the Navy. Yeah. And, and, and the only ships that's got anything close are... Your, your big ones. Big ones, yeah. yeah. And, and that was usually the battleships and the... Carriers. Carriers, yeah. yeah. But... Uh, so they sent me down there while I waited, and so I got transportation, and so did the other boy, to to go to the West Coast on the USS Pyro. Nitro. 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 <laughs> I said 
pyroglycerin or something, nitro? Yeah, okay, ammunition nitro. ship. And oh, boy. That's a hot sister, box. The sister ship is the other one. Well, uh, that was uh, something. We, they sent us. It, it was really a break because we got to go through the the Mediterranean and and through the canal and everything to get the west coast but uh, well let me ask you about it when you were on the ship now when I went on the ship I, I didn't go on a ship 28 years in the Navy two years aboard ship I volunteered for that went as a chief petty officer I was chief petty officer then we had chiefs lived in a chief's compartment we uh-huh. had regular three tier bunks you know with yeah. nice pillows mattresses how about your bedding? What was it like for you in the Navy? Well, you uh, you were assigned to, uh, to a certain place to go, but we had to sleep on uh, we had to sleep in hammocks. Hammocks. Yeah, <laughs> you, they issued you a bag and a hammock. All your possessions were always right. in that bag or hammock, but they 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 were stretched them out. They weren't like you would do them in the yard. They were stretched out. Where the, when you got into them, it was almost like being in a cocoon. <laughs> but the first few nights was kind of funny. Hear guys hollering and fall out of them, you know. Did you ever fall out of one? <laughs> I never did. Not there I didn't. I did on a ship. Oh, you did on a ship. Yeah. What, what what happened? What caused that to happen? Well, they, they, we went through the... We was lucky to go through... Uh, first they sent out... So we left to go to the West Coast. They sent us to Boston. And then we was there for two days, but and and then they sent us to New York. There's an ammunition depot up the Hudson River, uh, Naval Ammunition Depot at uh, whatever, whatever island it is up there, uh, and uh, it's a uh, uh, pretty uh, I pretty much of a lone ride up there. But then we come down, and oh, when we went through New York to go up there, that was the first time that the King, the, the uh, Queen Mary, uh, Queen Elizabeth, and Ile de France were in New York at the same time. Oh, wow! And, uh, but it was a, it was interesting going through there, walking, going by Ellis Island, and seeing the, oh. the monuments, you know. Yes, but. Uh, then we went down uh, to Philadelphia, and then from Philadelphia we went to uh, the one you talk about. The the ship? No, the, the station. Uh, oh, in Philadelphia? No, the next one down. Where the East Coast Main one? Oh, the uh, Norfolk. Yeah, Norfolk. Yeah. Well, we left Norfolk. Well, you know, coming down there, we always stayed close on the ship. Well, when we got on, the, we got to go to the next one. We was going to to uh, St. James. And uh, so we left St. James. Well, you go from, from Norfolk to there, you, you hit that uh, Cape Hatteras. Okay, lighthouse. Yeah. There's a lighthouse there. Yeah, and that's a rough place. Well, during the night... We hit the hard water, you know. You start weaving around. We, I learned to. I was sleeping in a hammock, but I learned to sleep with it still, not with the <laughs> ship going around. And so. Uh, and it was moving. The ship was rocking and rolling. Well, with, without music. Yeah, yeah, without music. And 
I started to fall, and I grabbed, and of course, we were so close together, wound up 12 guys. It was on the t- well, it was over the deck that they put the ammunition down to, you know. 12, 12 men on the deck. Yeah. yeah. Well. And I heard a lot of cussing. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> Not that Navy sailors ever use those kind of words. But, no. Yeah, that's maybe where they were invented. Now, listen, I asked you, Jim, about uh, if they asked you what you wanted to do in the Navy. Uh, you're on a ship. I know you're on a ship now. You had high schools. You made decisions in high school to take certain courses. Yeah. And I know that uh, you told me that uh, how you ended up getting uh, your position. Uh, tell us uh, just briefly, how did it come about that you ended up becoming a yeoman in the Navy? Well, I just uh, just got on the ship, the USS Medusa repair ship. And the five of us went on at one time, and the and the, the night, the first week, of the, the first night, we were sitting there talking and on the uh, on our address system. I, one they, MC. What the one MC? Yeah. Okay. They said anybody who wants to strike for yeoman, come to captain's office next morning. And I thought yeoman, hey, I had typing and and shorthand. I, I think I'd, I'd, I think I'll go up there. So, uh, you know, he said, everyone, anyone, you know. So I got up there, and there was seven. And I and uh, he'd done the first five, you know, ahead of me. And they'd ask him to type, and they'd just pick here and there, and they couldn't, you know. <laughs> and uh, got to me, and he told me to go take it, and I brought it back in two minutes, you know, and everything. Yeah, this is good. You actually typed about what seventy-five words per minute. Yeah. Okay. And he says this is good, and he started walking away. And he says, "I don't suppose you know shorthand." I said, "Yes." So he dictated a piece of note out of his thing and told me to bring it back. And it took me about eight or ten minutes. And he says, "Oh, he says I want you to come to captain's office next morning at eight o'clock." Well, there's one guy there that he was still checking, you know. He went down and told the other guys, he says, that new guy's going to get it. And uh, they went to the master at arms, and they told him, and he says, no, he isn't gone. I'm going to put him on KP. So he had somebody find me and tell me that I had to report a quarter to five, you know. They'd have somebody get you up, you know. So I did, and I didn't get off till nine. So when he... uh, at nine o'clock, I went up, and he was kind of irritated. Boss was kind of irritated. He said, "I thought you wanted to be a yeoman." I, I do. He said, "Why weren't you here at eight o'clock?" I said, "They put me on KP." He said, "How long you been on the ship?" Well, this was this now was the eighth day, and he said, "Oh God, I can't use you." <laughs> <laughs> you got appeal to pay to uh, potatoes, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> he says. Uh, you have to be on this ship a year in the in the deck force, and do six months of KP before you can even strike for yeoman. But he he didn't like to take short hands so bad that he he said I'm going in and see the captain. So and then they called me in later and and they talked and then they called the exec in because the exec took care of the crew. You know, the captains always took the officers and. Uh, the exec didn't, didn't want to do it. He says, no, we've had this system, and anybody who's been in the Navy ought to get the first shot at it. But the captain of the ship says, well, we did that. says, Every, everybody that wanted to go 
came up and they weren't qualified. Oh, he says, I'll loan you somebody from my office. No, he says, I'm not interested in loaning. He says, I'm going to look at this problem as it is. And uh, so after a few minutes of talk back and forth, he says, I, I want him transferred immediately. That's how I got to be yeah. a young man. Well, <laughs> it was a lot better than uh, peeling potatoes. Oh, yeah. But, but I'm surprised that the captain even got into a conver conversation with the exec. He probably should have said to the exec, whose name's on the cabin here for the captain? <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm glad you ended up becoming a young man because that really opened some doors for you. Um, oh, boy. Was your, was your captain promoted uh, to com Commodore? Or was this at a... No, this was another one. All right. How, you ended up getting assigned to a Commodore, right? Right. Uh, but that was uh, that was later. I was... Uh, well, to start with, uh, after I, I, I was yeoman for a long time, the captain's yeoman on the Medusa, and uh, I made yeoman second class. Well, you know, in the Navy, you could take a test at that time, every time, every six months, you know. But if yep. you didn't have a vacancy, you didn't get promoted. If it wasn't in your unit, you didn't get promoted. And uh, on and the captain's office there, they had uh, a, a, cap, a, a chief, a first class, uh, a, a chief, a second class, and two third class yeomen. And uh, they were supposed to re move one of them out. That's why they... He was going to be, he had orders to go, so that they wanted somebody to replace him. So uh, they put me in there to that. It was a, uh, it, it went along, and when I made second class, uh, the, the, the other third class one, uh, he took his, he'd been third class for a year and a half. I'd just been six months, you know, and I got it, and he didn't. Well, that uh, ruffled some feathers. Yes, it did. I mean, we were good friends, but he really was teed yeah. off at me. Yeah. And finally, the chief says, well, I'll tell you what happened. He says, when you take the test, you take it against the whole Navy, you know, all, right. all of you, yeah. all of them. But your ship has to have a vacancy for you to get promoted because the Navy was restricted at that time, you know. Mm -hmm. And so he says... Uh, uh, what's happened is uh, the top 10 percent are, are kept separate and they, they can move they don't have to move to the same position they can move anywhere ah different different than what it yeah. is today yeah you got a, got a different deal so he says he'll get his orders in two or three days i got my orders is to go to the uss sonoma okay that's a fleet tug it goes out to ships at sea mm-hmm crew is 32 and men and three officers. Well, I didn't care about that. I wished I hadn't made yeoman second class. <laughs> and uh, so uh, uh, my orders come, but whoever delivered them, delivered them to the wrong office. And it sat there in the afternoon and the next morning the guy was in the office, found them and, and brought them to where I was. Well, I got my orders at 10 o'clock that morning, and I was supposed to go to the USS Sonoma on 1010 Dock in Pearl Harbor, and I went to that place. There was no ship there. 
So uh, I was ready to go back, and there's a little shack there, and the guy in there says, can I help you? <laughs> My boat's gone. <laughs> I said, I was supposed to be on a ship here, but it's nothing here. He says, oh, you're the one that's waiting on. He says, they left. He, oh, first he says, can you walk on water? <laughs> I says, no, not carry this bag and hammock. <laughs> and so uh, he says, they left this morning. He says, so I didn't know what to do. You know, here I am with orders to go there, and I can't get on. So I go back to the ship I was on. Well, they had to notify. Everything was done from Washington then. That took a time. That took a, took yeah. a few minutes or an hours or days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he sent back. I thought they'd send me out there. But, you know, Wake's quite a ways away. And Wake uh, Island? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, they decided to somehow, well, then they, they changed my orders then to go to the USS Antares. That's how I got on the Antares to start with. That's good because now... You're leading us to where I really want to get your brain functioning here about the history. So uh, you, We're getting you to the Antares, right? Right. Hold that thought now. Okay. Did, do you remember hearing this? President Franklin Roosevelt made the following in his speech to Congress following the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Yeah. Remember hearing that? Oh, yeah. So, Jim, if you would please tell our listening audience your involvement on, on December. And, you, and I know it, it actually begins before December 7th right. with some, some, um, some uh, unidentified... I'll let you tell us, but uh, your story about Pearl Harbor and what you saw in your experiences. Well, uh, our, Pearl, our Pearl Harbor story, story starts well ahead of that because when, uh, when I was uh, on the captain's office on the uh, Antares, they uh, had five of us uh, tested five of us uh, and what they said that that there was uh, this naval officer naval history officer was going to write a book now this this was done it was done to be secret you know but it, that's the way things went and uh, so they test us and and I was selected to be the one to go well this was about the well the latter part of October but while we were there uh, <laughs> What was happening is the Antares was uh, was actually a, a, a storage issue ship. It was a ship that uh, was like a big uh, department store. Only they sold, they carried everything that you'd sell in the ship service in the, on a ship, you know, yeah. or station. So we'd go. The, the Antares would go from one island to the other because they couldn't buy things, things, food and things like that, you know. We'd go in there and they'd order that, and we'd go to the next island, you know, because there's little little islands, you know. Island and, hopping. Yeah, and uh, so uh, that started that off that morning, and uh, as we uh, uh, oh uh, we went to the uh, uh, we 
see, we le we left. Oh, what was happening is they decided that Ann Terry's would be the ship that would would take these things to the to the uh, islands to start with, but it was the Ann Terry's was built at the end of World War One. It was a bigger bigger a bigger cargo ship than what the Navy was buying, you know. And we were supposed to go to, Ann Terry's was supposed to go to Canton Island to take a Corps of, Am, Am, uh, Corps of Engineers uh, to set up an air base. England allowed us to set up an air base on Canton Island. And what happened is that uh, as, as we go down there, the, Uh, we go in and we go through and we take uh, we unload there and uh, afterward we're done unloading why well, they uh, sent us to Palmyra Island to pick up a tow and take it back to Pearl Harbor and uh, so uh, the Antares didn't have any, any artillery on it nothing to fight with so they sent the destroyer selfies that that distance there to bring us back to Pearl Harbor, to, you know, to escort. So you know things were in Washington were pretty serious to do that. Mm, yeah. And uh, so. Uh, but at this point, nobody had any intel intelligence about the Japanese fleet. No. That, huh? Or anything. Okay. People think Roosevelt did, but they don't. That's part of the problem. But but anyhow, as as the Antares, uh, the Selfridge had late model stuff, uh, equipment, they had sonar. They picked up something following us. They asked for for uh, recognition, but they wouldn't tell us. So we assumed it's Japanese, and uh, the Selfridge would would have us turn off all our motors of any size, you know, and stop. Well, that submarine would stop too. This happened yeah. and we sent us to Palmyra Island and told us to take back. Well, as, as we got there, uh, as an incident, I'd say uh, we got ready to go back to Pearl Harbor and and a, and a motor launch come out with three three sailors in it. No, it wasn't sailors, three guys from the Marines in there. And uh, I looked down, I was up, out, we was up out of the water, I was looking down and watched them and I thought one of them was my brother, but I said, can't be my brother, he's in the Navy and he's on the Medusa. He was on the same ship I'd been on, you know. Yes, yeah. So uh, uh, after a while I heard him talking and I yelled down John and he yelled back, Jim, can you imagine in the Pacific that, Ocean as yeah. big as it is? In that small world in some cases. Yes, it was then. Yeah. So uh, we started back to Pearl Harbor. Well, the same thing happened as we went back, that they'd have them stop, and of course the Selfridge was using extra fuel, you know, to circle around us at speed. It was kind of interesting to watch, but, but it's looking for the submarine, right? Yeah. Okay. It's trying to find out where it was on us, which side it was on, and that. But you know, uh, later the uh, some of the radio men in there said that at night, you know, the submarines have to surface, you know, to recharge. Right. And they'd said they'd see red and green lights away from them. So uh, that that was the story coming from the yeah. radio shack, yeah. you know. But anyway, about about uh, 150 miles, 125 miles out of Pearl Harbor, they had, 
the Selfridge asked to ask for permission to come in. They were short of fuel and food. So uh, they uh, allowed them to come in because they thought we could be covered by the Navy uh, Air Force that was on uh, Fort Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, but later on, uh, I found out later on that uh, the Star Reporter picked up that submarine again, okay. and they asked permission to bomb to drop to- charges, charges on it, but uh, they d- were denied because they wanted Roosevelt wanted the Japanese to make the first move. Well, well, anyway, that morning we got into uh, the. Well, you know, we get, everybody gets up when you know you're coming to an island. By this time, we'd been oh, to, yeah. been there 37 days at sea. You want to see lights, you know. No, we're talking December 7th. Yes. Everybody's getting up to come on into yeah. port, right? Manual rails and everything oh, else. Oh, yeah. You're, anybody didn't have a duty yeah. was right there all the time. You yeah. Know? We wanted to watch those first lights come in, you know. Right. Absolutely. And uh, as, as we got, uh, that was at, at about 530 well, you know, the, my boss had had this put on submarine watch when we left Canton Island, so that still was in effect. We had submarine watch four and a half, port and starboard. At a little after six in the morning, one of our submarine watches reported a sub at about 1,500 feet off our starboard bow. Well, we notified the Navy Yard that's the only thing we had to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we couldn't understand why they didn't call general quarters. You know, with what we saw of it and what they were doing in in Washington, you know, we thought they'd call general quarters. But still, this is before the actual attack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. so uh, but see, we were the only ship due in that morning. Uh, but... But what should say earlier, at 4 o'clock in the morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning, the Condor, uh, a uh, minesweeper, was working the fields to see if the chap dropped any any bomb, any uh, floating mines, you know. Well, uh, they notified the destroyer ward that was on duty at the gate that night. Now, the funny thing was that the, the fellow was in charge on this Watch was only on this ship about a day and a half. That's one another funny thing mm. about it. He went started off in the wrong direction, but he got that corrected. But he goes out and the, the submarine reported that they saw a t- periscope headed toward the gate. You know where where the ward was supposed to be. But but he decided to come out there. Well that yeah. That wasn't parked out there, you know. It was moving. We never saw it. So there's there was some there was some suspicious stuff going on. Very suspicious. That that the military people were concerned about. At least those in the vicinity of the suspicious underwater activity. Yeah. But yet Washington would not give the go ahead to drop depth charges or anything, and no, uh, no. because of. Not wanting to be go down in history, I guess, is making the first move. Right. So as you approach the harbor here, um, and and the, let's, let's see if we can get up to the point of where the attack is starting to take place. Now, um, at some point, the ship you're on actually gets involved, doesn't it? You guys, some of you are out on the – did you see the Japanese planes coming in or anything like that? Never saw them come in, but we saw – 
when we can see him diving when he's making the when he's making the attack. This was much later. We could see it and see the smoke coming up and and, and that. But had you gone to general quarters at this? No, no. Your ship was no. still not. No, it was it was the strangest thing you ever. You know, it was a Sunday morning, and uh, uh, peaceful, calm. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, but but we were more suspicious because of what we were going through coming down there, and and uh, but the, the, we felt that that. that we were supposed to be bombed, be sunk in a channel. We was the only one doing that morning. That's what everybody figured that we was going to be sunk in there. To tie up the channel. If they tied up a channel, they could have stayed as long as they wanted to. Oh but, yes. But uh, they actually did two. Didn't they do two rounds of attacks? Yes. The second round attack come a little after nine, and but in that time. Uh, it was peaceful. Radio was playing beautiful Hawaiian music and come through our intercom, you know, loud and wonderful. But you look around and and we first saw the, this is before the attack now, we saw the, what the ward had done. They went over and, and they finally got notified and the ward went over to, uh, to get that position out, and they also had a PBY plane flying overhead that was dropping uh, flares, and we could see the flares drop. Of course, this is six something in the morning. You know, it was, it was dark, but not clear dark. You know, it's some some light, but they were dropping to show where the submarine was. So we watched them. We sat there all those watching the, the destroyer. Uh, Throw all, push those, it's just barrels, you know. Yeah. Uh, pushing them overside there. But they're playing music on there. You know, so there was no, I mean, all is well. Yeah. When you hear there nothing being broadcast other than music, good, yeah. good beautiful Hawaiian music. Yeah. We're and, going on liberty. Yeah, but, but, but you know, uh, we didn't realize that, that uh, what, was, what was about to happen it, uh, so when did you realize you were in trouble? Well, uh, you we we watched them as they sank at that submarine. They claimed they sank at about six forty-seven. That was the word that they had at that time. Did you see anything? Did they? They claimed they sunk it. Did they see any debris or any yeah, oil? Yeah, that's the they way saw, they, they, that's they, the saw, way okay. they determined it was. Oh, okay. But. Uh, but they wouldn't let us in the harbor then. <laughs> they wouldn't want you to get in there and tie it up. No, they, so, oh, well, another thing is uh, there's supposed to be a, 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 a tug come out there and take our tow away from us. We were still, had that doggone tow behind us. Oh. You know, we had to keep moving with that. You can't park, you have to keep moving. Well, uh, they, uh, why did it? Why was it an hour late coming out? I mean, everything in there—it looked like they were trying to give them time, you know, because the Japs had already taken off to strike us, you know. Yes, yes. So, so this was their preparation. The Japs yeah. knew what they were doing. Yeah. They, they had that thing really scouted out. Did you happen to see any dog fights going on? I mean, yeah, you know, we saw one. There's eight yeah. of us up on the bow of the ship. We watched the dog fight. While we were watching the dog fight, somebody yelled, Jap plane, Jap plane. About that time, he opened fire. 
it was one of the zeros come in, and of course you know on the on the on the uh, uh, ammunition ship, or the, not the ammunition ship on the supply ship, there's not very much superstructure there. No. So you don't get very many shots in, but we hit the deck, but they were shooting at the, at the bridge, you know. But they they done damage on a radio shack and some damage on the bridge, but they didn't hit anybody. Yeah. Well then. Then they ordered us to go down below. That was the worst part for me. I didn't want to go down below. They were they were bombing us at the same time, but we were zigzagging. But, yeah. But uh, they weren't coming close. But you know that you don't know when the next one will. Well, the that's that's the fear I'm sure that was going through everybody's. Oh if yeah. If we're down below and they hit us with a bomb, we'll never get out. No, and when we got down there. Uh, everybody was in the compartment right along the only place up in front where you get out because you know there's two places the front and the back I was up in the front and uh, so uh, that was uh, it was full of people down there yeah wow but you know to get out of the ship at that time all you had was a ladder to climb up on yeah so you wouldn't figure you'd have any chance to get out so so uh, <laughs> You did see some devastation, other than uh, from a distance, uh, the consequences that some people had to paid as a result of the war. Uh, I've been told uh, through my sources that December 8th was probably one of the worst days of your life. Can you tell us what happened on December 8th? Well, uh, on December the 8th, about 8 o'clock in the morning, I got a, a telegram from the Red Cross said my brother was in a hospital at Pearl Harbor. And uh, so my boss was a Commodore and had his own Jeep. And uh, he says, I suppose you'd like to see him. And I said, yes, sir. And uh, so he told him to to take my my all my clothing and stuff. Because, see, I was just on that ship for temporary duty. And he'd take that with me and I'd have to report back to the where I was on Kahua Island, and uh, so, because they, they're supposed to leave, the officers was gonna leave later that day. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, we went out, and on the way there to Pearl Harbor from Hawaii, from Honolulu, uh, the Marines had set up temporary uh, places to fight from with sandbags, you know. So we faced machine guns, and. We're carrying the Commodore's flag with us, you know. Oh, that's a sitting, that's a target. Yes, it is. <laughs> but uh, we was uh, kind of upset about it. But I got out there, and my brother was uh, was an outpatient. I thought the Japanese uh, the had hit uh, Palmyra Island, and they were, might have flown back casualties to Pearl Harbor. But it wasn't. He had asthma. And he had a case of yellow jaundice, and they'd flown him back. She'd already been there two or three days. So he was all right. He was an outpatient. But for me, it was the worst day of the time. Uh, I'd go into the hospital to to do see if I could do anything to help and to try to comfort somebody. But uh, the, the worst was a combination of the smell of... So many of the people in the hospital were in there for burns because uh, the uniform of the day was T-shirt and shorts. Yeah. And those 
bomb, those bombs that they threw, a lot of them was flash bombs. You Incinerary. Know? Right. Yeah. And anywhere your your skin wasn't covered, it burned. Yes. Yes. And it was a terrible smell, and of course to hear the crying and the and something that uh, will linger with you and has lingered with oh, you yeah. ever since you experienced since, that. Yeah. yeah, I was walking by and one 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 young man was crying. He's called for his mother. Oh, that's sad, Jim. That's sad. But you know, Jim. We're blessed to have you here to share with us some of those experiences. We see on television war stories, you know, and it's hard to have a feeling and a sense for just how drastic some of the situations were. I mean, they're portrayed by Hollywood. Uh -huh. But you saw it. You experienced this. You, you have memories that will linger with you and have lingered with you that have affected you but but we thank you for for your service and let me let me say this uh, i wish we had more time but i think we're running out of time here you're the first i had never never met a slick arm chief and i want you if if we can just take a brief moment <laughs> a slick arm chief is normally every when you have four years of of service you get a a hash mark if i was to show you my uniform you'd see i wear seven hash marks yeah 28 okay congratulations Most, well thank you <laughs> it took me 17 years to make master chief which is is e9 that's the top you oh, made yeah. chief which was the top back then, then yeah you know, the, without even getting four years yeah tell us just the surprise that you received by the the, the captain or your commander and then and then i want to move from that real quick and summarize some some things here if we can how much time do we have kathy uh you got about 10 minutes all right so just briefly how how did you find out <laughs> that you were a chief oh well i i was called into my captain's office and he says i got an appointment for you i got an appointment at the at the tailor shop he says i want you to pick up a suit there and I thought, well, he usually has his orderly do that. I thought, what do you want me to do with the suit? He said, I want you to wear it. <laughs> he says, you're a chief petty officer. There you go. Just that way. It was based on your performance. Yes. Your outstanding performance in all respect as a, as a yeoman. Yes. For people who aren't familiar with the military, is very traditional, the Navy. The chiefs run the Navy. Yes. They. It's always ask the chief, ask the chief. Oh, yeah. And the, Harry Truman says the buck stops here. The buck stops with the chief. Yeah. So, Jim, you, you, you impressed that man. He says, go to the – that's not how it works today, believe me. No, I you know. know it doesn't work that way. I know it. I mean, you got evaluations that play into it. Um, so let me – I'm going to bring this around here. My source is uh, – uh, let's see. Uh, let's see uh, if I can find this. I wrote little notes here. I know um, my sources told me that during your years in the Navy, you always had your mind on your future and the girl you met while milking cows. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what about milking cows has to do with it, but you, <laughs> you went back, eventually you went back, saw her, 
And I wish we could get into this story, but I got something else that I, I, I want to do on the air with you here. And you managed to get her to marry you. And, and here's what I, I, together you build a lovely life. For 32 years, you walk, work together. You had a grocery store in Milwaukee, Indiana, and you later bought a bowling alley in Culver, Indiana. You raised two boys and two girls, and you blessed to have Mary for almost 60 years. And unless there's been any changes, your family's grown to include 10 grandchildren and 12 great-grandchildren. Is that right? Pretty close. But what, what's changed? Those numbers changed? I don't think so. Okay. What a what a what an honor to have you here, Jim. And and I, I some other people have been touched by your life, and you've been interviewed by the History Channel, and now by WTCA and WNDU is here. Uh, there's some things we'd like to like to, to present to you as a token of our appreciation. Okay, can we? Yes. Okay. First of all, uh, the, the senator from Indiana, one of the senators from Indiana, Todd Young, has sent us something for you. And uh, let me present it to you. I know uh, what it is. Maybe, I don't know if you have one of these, but what it is, Jim, it's, uh, it's a flag of the United States flown over the Capitol building. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've had one of these before. Uh, the flag of the United States of America certificate of authenticity. This is the certify that the accompanying flag was flown over the United States Capitol. Okay, that's so that's yeah. that's that's for you to take. We'll have the. You, now there's a card here from the United States Senate. Would Would you like me to read that to him? Can I read this to you, Jim? Sure. I don't know if I can open this without. Oh my goodness, I don't want to. Do we have anything that we can open with that? You ought to see my way I open my mail at home. <laughs> I go like this and I tear the ends. Or I rip it. Oh, here. So we got a card from the senator, and then we'll see what it has to say once we we broken it uh, it open and, and read it to you. We're getting some help here from Damn. one of your daughters. <laughs> Anyway, oh, right. Oh, I hope I can read this. Is handwriting not the greatest? No, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's too good. I'm used to terrible writing, mine. <laughs> so it's from Todd Young, Indiana Senator, United States Senate. Jill, he's uh, dated Chief Petty Officer DeWitt. It is an honor and a privilege to recognize you for a life of servant leadership. Your service during World War II has made a um, powerful influence on America and the world. Know that the people of Indiana are grateful for your, uh, for your service and sacrifice. Sincerely, Todd Young. Dang. Outstanding. Now, next I want to share with you, you know we have Master Chief Petty Officers now. I know you do now, yeah. You're looking at a retired one. Okay. We've got chief petty officers. Got a letter of appreciation. I have a copy of it. The official is in the mail, but a letter of appreciation from the current master chief petty officer Naval, uh, Navy, Russell L. Smith. All right, oh. let me read it, please. Dear Mr. James C. DeWitt, it is my distinct honor to wish you a very happy 101st birthday. Now, he wrote this 
in respect to your birthday. Uh-huh. He's all right. And express my sincere appreciation for your faithful and honorable service to our nation and Navy. Your patriotism and dedication speaks volumes about who you are and what you stand for as an American. Please know that your accomplishments and sacrifices are enshrined in history. During your time as a sailor in our great Navy, you have done your part to establish a legacy of excellence as a member of the greatest generation of veterans. Your loyalty, devotion, and dedication to the defense of our great nation is commendable. Thank you for all you have done and for being a a sailor, shipmate, and patriot that our nation and Navy required. Very respectfully, Russell L. Smith, Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy. That's wonderful. Thank you. And now, let me share this with you. I reached out to my son, who's um, a retired lieutenant commander. I know I don't look that old to have a son who's a retired lieutenant commander, do I? No. (laughs) All right. But, and I'm going to read this, he sent, this is a Navy hat. I'm going to, it's oh. it's a Navy hat, U.S. Navy, and on the front it's got USN and silver letters and the filed anchor, and on the back it says Chief. Oh, that's wonderful. It says Chief, and he sent a coffee cup. Chiefs in the Navy drink coffee, don't they? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you do or not. It says Forged from the deck plates, U.S. Navy chiefs. All right? And I want to read to you, Jim. I don't know if it was ever read to you. The anchor is a filed anchor. This is very historical and very unique to the Navy. For as long as man has had ships to sail the seas, an anchor that is foul of cable or chain has been considered to be an emblem of artistic nautical theme. In the year 1601, Lord Howard of Effington introduced the file anchor as a symbol of authority for the High Admiralty and incorporated it into the British Navy seal. It was first used by the American Navy in 1830 to designate senior officers. Today, it still appears on shoulder boards of admirals. With the issuing of General Order Number 431 of 24 September, 1894, the rate of Chief Petty Officer was created. On 12 June 1897, Circular Number 79 declared the Guild Foul Anchor with silver letters, a USN, would be used to designate the Chief Petty Officer. It became their first cap device. So we wear the same thing that admirals wear. Is that right? We're unique. You were a chief petty officer. You always will be a chief petty officer. Thank you. Thank you. For your service. Thank you. And thank you for your service. You're welcome. What a pleasure. Kathy, that's about it for us. You did good. We have like two minutes left at the top of the hour. (laughs) Well, we didn't even get a commercial in there. That's okay. Uh, Jim, we want to thank you for coming in and being on the show with us and with our listeners this morning. It was very interesting Uh, To hear actually about your whole life from the very beginning all the way through. And we want to thank you for your service. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ready for a break? Yep. Take a quick break. we got something to give away here. Um, I've got state fair tickets. got four of them. 
If you want anything from us in the last 30 days, please give somebody else a shot at this. But we're going to take caller number two, 574-936-4096, 574-936-4096. Caller two, headed to the state fair. Surf Broadband Solutions is now Surf Internet. And now, Surf Internet is available in Plymouth. Surf's fast. Fiber Internet is more reliable and 25 times faster than cable. Get one gig speed and a free whole home Wi-Fi router for the incredibly low price of $85 a month. No contracts and free installation at a price that's locked for life. We're expanding to more neighborhoods every day. So visit surfinternet.com to check your address. Or call 844-955-SURF for details. That's 844-955-SURF. Limited time offer. Restrictions apply. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack, but not with ZipRecruiter. Its powerful technology actively finds and invites qualified candidates to apply to your job. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you the needle in the haystack. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. The phone lines are open now. Call 574-936-4096 or text 574-307-6647. Let's get back to what's your opinion on WTCA in Plymouth. Here's Kathy and Rusty. Raj, headed to the State Fair. Raj, congratulations and thank you for playing our little game here on, as you heard, Monday. And, and Rusty, if you're thinking about going to the State Fair, you might want to grab one of those Mega Million tickets tonight or tomorrow because on Tuesday's drawing, Mega Millions is going to be an uh, estimated $800 million. Wow. That's, That's a, a lot, of, lot money. of money. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yep. Crazy. A lot of money. Yeah, and it would make your trip to the Indiana, Indiana State Fair fantastic. Yeah, it? I would enjoy that then. You could uh, definitely. You could just about buy the state fair for yourself. You could buy the whole day out just for yourself. Make everybody else leave, and you'd be the only one at the state fair that day. Well, what would be the point of that? I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> but it could be interesting. Well, okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. Definitely. All right, we've got to wrap up the show because yeah. it's 11 o'clock. Well, we uh, don't have any birthdays today, so if you have a birthday, get it in here. Friday, we'll have a drawing. For four cupcakes from Blood Dessert Cafe, a free small drink from the Coffee Lodge, and a beautiful bouquet of flowers from Cash and Creek. Same thing with anniversaries. None today. Got some coming up. Get it in here. You got a few days at the end of July. We will have a drawing 
for 50 bucks from Deaton Clemens Van Gilder Funeral Home. So make sure you uh, get your anniversaries in here. And uh, nothing in the trading post today, so you need to get some stuff in there. It's the first time in a while, so uh, get it in here. Four days for free if you're having a sale, you're getting rid of something, whatever you got, uh, we'll take care of you. Uh, And that is all I have, so I'm done. And I have covered my bases for the day. So it is 11 o'clock, and you're listening to WTCA in Plymouth, Indiana. Tomorrow, we will have the Plymouth Volunteer Fire Department in. They're having a pancake breakfast coming up on Saturday, and we're going to chit-chat with them about that event. Freaking cool. There we go. Plymouth Fire Department. Those guys, I mean, they... Pancakes sound good. Yeah, pancakes sound good, but firemen are... I'll tell you what. They're a different breed. They're a different breed, but I'll tell you what. That job is... I don't know. It's, most people are running away from what they're uh, yes, running into. True. So and the EMTs and all that, they they do it. They do a job. Well, yeah. we're gonna find out more about it. Well, and I I'm willing to taste the pancakes too. Oh, so okay. We'll go with that too. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you tomorrow at nine. Have a great day. Is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. All eyes are on Indianapolis today in the fight over legalized abortion. Lawmakers are holding a special session to discuss legislation that would lead to a near total ban. Republican State Senator Sue Glick is sponsoring the bill. Being pro-life is not about criminalizing women. It's about preserving the dignity of life and helping mothers bring happy, healthy babies into the world. Kamala Harris' office says the vice president is on her way to the state now to meet with lawmakers. A voracious wildfire is churning near Northern California's Yosemite National Park. Correspondent Jonathan Vigliotti is in Mariposa County. Cooler temperatures this morning have really helped tamp down these flames, but those temperatures are expected to spike back up to 100 degrees later today. That-